0: Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Peter Hostrauser. Peter has been an educator for over 18 years, witnessing changing students in a stagnant system. He regularly listens to student voices through his podcast, which has taught him how and why people in traditional educational settings burn out. He's host of the Disrupt Education podcast, founder of the Unlearning Coach, and a high school business educator at AA Stagg High School, where he teaches internship, entrepreneurship, web design, and career planning. His ultimate goal? is helping others to find and show their value. Oh, Welcome, Peter.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for taking the time. So you spend so much time with high school students, with entrepreneurship and career planning and putting together their journeys into that next step in their lives. What are some of the challenges and the fears that you're seeing with today's students that you're working with?
2: Oh, there's how long do we have? Um, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of challenges in the system um, that we see. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges is students still kind of label themselves after their GPAs and their test scores and not really who they are. Some of the biggest challenges is really finding strengths in each individual student and actually extracting that knowledge from them. Having them use their strengths to actually build on is, is a challenge. For, for the students, you know, there is things that are, I guess, not really put together at a high school level. Um, we still have different subjects. Um, I'm in an a period day where the student has to learn for 20, 30, 40 minutes, depending on the day. And then stop and then start again and stop and start again. So I think challenge is them putting together a learning journey deeper than just surface level knowledge. So those are those are some of the biggest challenges and mindset. Um, growth mindset at that age is very difficult. Fixed mindset because we're ringing bells. It's kind of like the Pavlov's dogs going through. Uh, students will line up at the end of the day. And, you know, the engagement is tough. And uh, we also have to take a look at ways that uh, we can use social media rather than be used by social media. So there's so many aspects that come into play. So it really depends on the individual student and, you know, how I can extract value on their strengths and help them grow that strength or those strengths into their why, their passions, and uh, really, you know, just try to figure out who they are as human beings, and know that it's not a straight line, and and that's the linear model is the system, and it really isn't in life. So, I hope that answers your question because there's a lot more <laughs> in there. So,
1: yeah, that was a lot. It sounds like it's still a pretty traditional high school.
2: Yes, it is.
1: Classes and silos, moving from class to class, working towards you know, grades and a GPA. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that you said is honestly, the thing that struck me the most is that students are often defining themselves by their GPA yeah, and labeling themselves, you know, in that way by what they've accomplished on a test in a class. Yeah. So how do you help students then find, you know, not only their strengths, which clearly is taking tests in some of their cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the strengths in subject matter, like what they want to do, where where those interests lie, you know, how do you help them figure out what to deep dive into?
2: Right. I can't imagine being a math teacher. My father was a math teacher for so many years, which, you know, I enjoy math. I enjoy the problem solving piece of it. I'm a business teacher. So I, I chose to go into this field as an elective to where I really want to help students make a business of themselves. Sounds kind of different, but um, when you build in public and you build your brand and who you are, you have to understand your strengths. And, and how I extract that is basically a lot of questions, have them ask their family and friends, you know, what, what am I good at? How do you see me? And a lot of students will just say, you know what, I am good at math because I get this score. Well, how have you used it? And um, I'm a big believer in portfolios, online portfolios and, and building in public. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give a little bit of a shout out to SpikeView, which is a, a great platform for students actually to really build what they're proud of. A lot of students will say, I got an A on a test. And just the other day, uh, I asked a student and he's, he's taking the SAT for the third time, which my SAT score was terrible but it didn't divine me. Um, I didn't allow it to, it took a while, but I didn't. And we actually started to pull that apart into a story. And I asked him, I'm like, why are you taking it for the third time? He's like, well, I wasn't satisfied with my score. And I asked him, okay, so let's dive into your process here. What did you do the first time that you took the test? He's like, well, I just walked in. I didn't study at all. I took the test. And then I asked, so what did you change from first time to second time? And he he said, I dug deep into the things that I already knew because it was a safe place. I didn't really go into the things that I needed to learn. And I got the exact same score. Um, And then the third (laughs) time, which is coming up, he um, has said, now I've dove deeper into the items on the test that I was uncomfortable with. I don't know what the outcome is yet because he hasn't taken it yet. But mm-hmm. that's the story behind the test. So that's kind of a, an example of how i extracted that story and had him place that into his online portfolio of how he problem solved. Just because the test score wasn't where you were, it's the process of your learning. And that's a very kind of minute piece of a lot of the different things that I work with students inside and outside of school to extract those strengths and how they learn rather than what they learn.
1: Yeah, your story illustrates a good point. Now, I was kid number one or test number one. I walked in, I took the test, I got my score, I left. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I did all right. But it's interesting then that the next choice he makes is to go dive deeply into the things that he already knows and the things he knows he's good at because that's comfortable and safe. And I think learning, you know, when we really push ourselves outside of that and when you're looking at entrepreneurship or you're looking at starting something new or going somewhere you haven't been before, like that unknown piece is so scary and so difficult for so many people. I think that story illustrates that really, really well. Just that when we step into learning, when we step into the unknown, like that's an uncomfortable space for us. And a lot of people just don't like to be there.
2: Right. Especially teens. (laughs) It's difficult (laughs) to, to kind of get them into there because they have already learned how to play the game of school or they refuse to play the game of school. But there is something behind that. There's a story behind that and getting people into a place to where their value usually is in those uncomfortable spaces. And that's my biggest challenge as an educator right now is really helping that student fail in a safe place, if you will, and be able to do it in front of a a classroom of people who are going to support them. And that takes a lot of time. And Unfortunately, sometimes in business, we have a semester, we have a very select timeframe to do that in. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the pressures of, you know, a, a standardized system. Um, but we got to work within the box and see how we can break out of the box. And uh, I really enjoy doing that. It's a fascinating thing. It's a uh, science teachers will tell me I have a Petri dish in front of me and we just watch what happens.
1: Definitely true to some extent, I'm sure. I mean I I have an elementary school and we talk about growth mindset all the time but elementary kids are less afraid to fail they're more willing to try just about anything and see how it works and go through that learning process so how do you with just a semester of high school kids or high school students create the atmosphere you know how do you build that community in your classroom where where it is safe where students do want to try new things, where they're not afraid to feel uncomfortable and where it's okay to fail.
2: You fail in front of them. That's one thing that, <laughs> that I've done several times. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> when I started my Disrupt Education podcast, it actually wasn't a podcast, it was a YouTube channel. And I had a website and I tell them the story all the time. Um, this is how I usually introduce myself to my students is I have a story about where I spelled disrupt education incorrectly on my own site when i started this movement i guess if you will of kind of going in and trying to figure out what students are seeing or saying or what they want out of education and learning I and mean, how they would change school i thought i was going to change the world myself and i was going to be that person and i created a website and about 2 weeks to 3 weeks into the website being up, one of my old college roommates connected with me on LinkedIn, and he told me he's like, "You have a misspelling." We were in business before, way back in the day. We had a video production business where we did some corporate videos and such. And he was always the guy who would, you know, he would be the the guy who would find the the errors. He was a better writer than I was, so I looked all over the website. I couldn't find it anywhere, and then I finally hit the homepage and I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. And there it was right in front. And I had a decision to make, right? And I made that decision to, all right, suck it up. I just told everybody I was going to change the world around education and I can't even spell disrupt correctly on my website. And I just kept going. And I tell that story to my students. And also I, I put them in experiences where they are going to look at something and be in the fixed mindset when they don't know they're in the fixed mindset. Case in point, I had the students, most of them, they had to do two pitches for entrepreneurship because as an entrepreneur, you have to actually be very vocal about what you're selling and how you're helping or fix a problem. And the second time I challenged the students, they all had to get up in front of the class. And the second time they had to actually record it. And I am working on a great platform as well. This is another platform it's called Spindle. It's a project-based learning platform that manages pieces uh, together for students. And only one student turned it in in the time frame that they needed to turn it in. And I knew they weren't going to do this because the previous semester we had the same happening where the other set of students were like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to record this or anything. So the night before I zeroed out all their grades. And that was enough because we were early enough in the semester that it was going to just nail their grades way down low to maybe D's and F's. And the next morning, as I came in the class, 9, 10, 11 students came up to me and were fearful. And they were like, oh my gosh, this happened. Uh, I, what had happened is I wouldn't upload or, and they, you know, they were, they were shooting all the excuses and such. And I even got a few emails and I was like, guys, relax, we're going to take care of it. We're going to problem solve this. And while we were starting class, I secretly took all the grades away. And the whole class was really relieved. We had a conversation about it. That was the fixed mindset. You're not looking at improving, you're just looking at a result. And I wanted them to feel that. And we actually took a pause and had them feel that and remember what that felt like. My parents are going to yell at me, or I'm not doing well in class when I actually, they're doing fine in class. They're just learning. And that was a great situation that happened just actually two weeks ago. And, uh, the students, I, hopefully I said, just, I really want you to remember that experience. Sometimes we can't go out and sell things or we can't get outside of these four walls. But if I can give you those types of experiences to see, it's easy to say, I'm not in the fixed mindset. I'm in the growth mindset. But when you act upon it and you really are kind of scared, luckily, no one got in trouble. I never got parents or anything like that. Uh, but even so, I would I would let them know that's the lesson. So that's another story about how I actually try to give them those experiences in a classroom setting. And
1: those experiences are so important. We know that that's when learning occurs is when you have that disruption between what you think is going to happen and what actually happens. And it changes your emotional state or changes your mental state. And you you actually feel that in your body when that changes. And so to have figured out a way to do that in the classroom is pretty brilliant, by the way. Um.
0: <laughs> it was fun.
1: It's always fun
2: because most <laughs> teachers sometimes like, I just want to put an F in there because they're not doing it. I like to dig a little bit deeper into that.
1: Yeah, it sounds like so in the entrepreneurship class, they're creating pitches. Yeah. Are they actually creating projects or a business as well? Are going through that process?
2: Yes. What's so cool about it is um, I'm stirring up the Petri dish again. Um, last semester was very difficult because we were online and there was a hybrid where we're all in classes now, even though we're wearing masks. And I taught them the business model canvas. It's hard. I was learning myself how to engage with students who were at home, probably had a ton of different distractions that we already knew about that we're trying to figure these things out. And we learned a lot about that. Um, But this year, what they're able to do is I am pulling on their curiosity and asking them to go in and create a course or a learning piece that you would like added in your high school. And so that's their quote unquote business. And uh, they're grouping up right now and we're walking through the design thinking model uh, of that where it's a business plan basically. And they're going to walk through this. And I've caught the ear of uh, our superintendent. And uh, I, he's going to talk a little bit about mission, vision. And, you know, sometimes we have to work in these, you know, archaic structures. And uh, he's, he's a very accommodating person. He's new this year. Dr. Nolting, I'll give him a shout out. And he's willing to actually take a look at, okay, what are the different ways that we can individualize our education as much as we can under the laws and the, and the politics that happen? Uh, in the system. So that's the biggest one that they're uh, creating right now. And I'm I'm super excited because they're going to teach me through this as well. And they know this. So I am also a student in the class, which is super exciting for me.
1: Yeah. So you're, you're actually having them redesign their high school as a project.
2: 100%. (laughs) I'm tricking them into pulling their curiosity um, because it will reveal, I, I've done this in different sorts of ways in smaller projects. I've never done it on a grand scale like this, mm-hmm. which I'm going off script. And they know that because this is the year where we are sort of out of pandemic. I don't know what you call it, but we're coming off of a <laughs> an interesting year. One of the years that I've learned the most in my entire 20 year career in education. And yeah, I, I figured, you know what, what time is better than now? to really start picking um, the students' brains and, and where they're at.
1: So you haven't done this project before?
2: Not like I'm going to, right, not like we're doing right now. So yeah, this is a, this is the first shot at it. I've had students create a product or a service around a school, mm-hmm. but not quite this in-depth.
1: I was going to ask you what students in past projects have come up with and if the high school had taken any of those classes or cre- you know really implemented any of their ideas.
2: Yeah. um, No, it was sort of. um, We did actually, now um, we're bringing in a cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain, excuse me, lessons into our personal finance. And that Mm -hmm. was a little bit of something that somebody came up with last year as we were in our hybrid mode. And we're working with a great company. I know I'm giving a lot of shout outs here because I just work (laughs) with a lot of ed tech companies, but it's Hello Digital Ed. And they have a program that is actually a blockchain and cryptocurrency, which I am not up to date on. I do teach personal finance, but we are bringing Mm -hmm. it in for a week and a half so our students can learn about it and understand it. And myself included, and as well as some of the other business teachers.
1: Right on. So, you know, you're doing this project with your students and in the classroom. And if you envision the future of school, if you could create your utopian school, what might that look like
2: yeah this is a this is a difficult question because i don't I don't think it's a physical place. I think it's a mindset, it's a curiosity and it's individualistic and also it's a community yeah the the picture of that is very unclear I, I feel like each learning moment with students wherever they are is a school. The earth is a school, and I think that if they're able to pull forward in their curiosity and find the mentors, the people that they need to connect with and discover on their own and put together value to better humanity in general, that's the big utopian picture. I'm a very visual person. However, I struggle actually mapping that out, what that looks like. I definitely don't think it's the actual system that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. But for, you know, maybe two, three percent of the students, that is the place for them. I, I do think, though, where you have a conglomerate of people in a community, um, and I think you have to start with your local communities where you can attach your community challenges with youth and empower the youth to come up with different ways of looking at things and to progress into something that's going to be better for the next generation and so on and so forth. I think that's the place that a kind of a utopian society of a school would look. I'm very, very adamant about connecting community as much as possible with the youth that live in that community. If you open their eyes to wherever they are and they see the successes, but they also see the challenges, which, especially in high school, they see a lot of challenges. And if you can open them up um, to really use their strengths to dig deep into those challenges and try something new, research it, test it out, uh, hypothesize first, obviously, and go through the cycle of learning and then improve and keep doing that, I think overall. And I don't really call that a school. I just think that's a learning environment that is successful and fulfilling.
1: Yeah, it's a mindset and it's a curiosity. The thing that I think of, like when you were talking about how to build a learning community and how to really draw the community in, um, I had a conversation last season with Greg Bear, and he runs an organization called Remake Learning. Yeah. That's what they do is they build all of those community connections for students to really go out and be a part of the community and learn from different people that are in the community and then how to bring that back. You know, it's still in the school building, but how do we make all of those connections and then improve our communities and improve our world and, and figure yeah. out what we like to do and, and where our interests are and what's relevant to us.
2: Yeah. I, and I really like that uh, model. Also, Trace Pickering at Iowa Big, when I visited him pre pandemic, they do the same thing with juniors and seniors in high mm-hmm. school and they let them build the projects and then they add in, it's the students are running it and then they add in where they need to be in a math curriculum or where they need to be in a science, English, business, the arts. And it's just a reversed way where the student is in charge. There is a learning curve there, but I, I love that model as well. So, you know, what uh, Mr. Bear is doing as well. Those are the types of places where I'd love to get my hands a little bit more dirty and, and have some fun with even more students who have a- should have access to a-, a learning environment like that.
1: Yeah, great. So I mentioned that I run an elementary school and the one question that I love to ask every guest, is if you can share a story that you remember from elementary school.
2: Yes. uh, This is funny because while we're recording, uh, Halloween is coming up. And I remember Mrs. A. Weldon, first grade, very, very vividly. It was one of my first biggest moments and probably my favorite moment in um, school all the way through. I went through my elementary was K through five and we were able to build a scary fun house in the classroom and i remember we were able to put the pieces of it and decide what we wanted in it so part of it was there was some you know a place where you could blow up balloons there was a couple of games where the Obozo game where you'd throw ping pong balls in and then there was a, a scare house and we we brought together all the big Closets that were movable at the time. And I won't tell you how far back this is because that'll show you my age, but we were able to move these, which there wasn't a lot of movable furniture back then. And we made walls and um, we got to choose where we wanted to be. And it was interesting because I thought everybody would want to be in the fun house or everybody would want to do the game. And Mm -hmm. it was my first moment where I learned that people had kind of different interests and they started to go into their specific locations and I wanted to be in the fun house and I remember Ms. Zewald said you can bring in any kind of costume that you want and you'll be inside this coat hanger thing and then we'll put drapes on it and you open it up and you try to scare people as they walk through which were the other classes mm-hmm. I was a ghost with an interesting mask um, it was kind of an old plasticky mask back in the day mm-hmm. And I remember that we owned that and we were so happy about that we got to build that. And I can't remember a test to save my life, but I can remember that experience of ownership and the curiosity and how we made it work. And I remember us having a discussion afterwards about how we could make it better than next year. Unfortunately, the next year teacher didn't do that with us, but That introduced me to wait a minute, we can actually improve upon what we did this year. Um, We knew how many students went to in the other classes who walked through it. We went through the different areas. So a lot of them went through one area. Some of them didn't really, the balloons, no one really cared about the balloons that much. And it didn't really make anybody mad in class. I don't remember, but I do remember we were like, okay, maybe balloons isn't a thing. Maybe we should change something. So that is actually one of my fondest memories of elementary school. When you asked that, that was a tough one because I was like, I really don't remember that much. I remember being in recess. I remember activities. I remember playing games, a lot of PE courses, but I don't remember that much around sitting in a classroom.
1: Yeah, it's funny. We talk about that sometimes, like we all learn to read and we all, you know, went through phonics and sight words, but nobody remembers sitting in the class and doing that. You remember building a Halloween fun house and that experience, not only of like building it and working with your classmates, but then also being able to sit down and reflect and look at the data of what worked and what didn't work and what do kids like and what do kids not like? And if we build it again, how can we build it better and different? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, a great thought process to move through on any project. I love it. Yeah. I remember my time tests, like the addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, yeah. They were supposed to be done within a minute and I never passed the division one. I clearly remember this from third grade. Mm-hmm. But
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> that's yeah, that's interesting. It's, <laughs> a, you remember, and and unfortunately, we carry those deficiencies with us when we really should be carrying, okay, you not necessarily boxing you in on a strength, but saying, hey, this is something that you're good at. Um, why don't you try this or add this to that? Mm-hmm. The system is still set up to be well, you were bad at your time stable, your division, so we're going to give you more time on that. And maybe that's just not your thing or, or there's a different way that you could learn that. And that's something, a uh, habit, if you will, I'm trying to break at uh, the teen level because they know what they're not good at and they mm-hmm. self-speak that. And that actually adds to maybe the detrimental learning moments that could happen in those subjects or on projects.
1: Yeah. And so often not being good at something is really just an opportunity to dig deeper and learn more about what you don't know.
2: 100%. Yeah.
0: So, Peter, how can people get in touch with you?
2: Basically, uh, if you go to peterhostrasser.com or disrupteducation.co, that's uh, my personal website. Um, I do some cohorts. I am the unlearning coach. I like to help people unlearn traditional education and, and fixed mindsets and uh, help them build their value. So if you go to unlearningcoach.com, you can Google me. I'll be on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all the others, uh, Twitter is at Peter Hostrasser. But reach out and uh, there's a contact place on my uh, website and or just message me on any uh, social media platform. And I'll be glad to uh, speak with anybody about unlearning and uh, how we can change education for the better for everyone.
1: Fantastic! Thank you so much for your time, Peter.
2: I appreciate it. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And thank you so much for teaching youth a different way. So when they get to me, they already have this mindset of curiosity and moving forward. I appreciate it.
1: That's the goal, right? Curiosity always. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com. Where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school Up Academy at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.